for joining the podcast of North Highland Baptist Church. To find more help or to give to this ministry, please visit nhbcfamily.com. Amen. If you would, you remember about Daniel. We've talked about how that God is faithful in every difficult time that we could ever face. But I want you to take a, a, a look at this picture right here whenever we go into this. But I want to preach to you today about being prepared. And being prepared, I don't mean that in a MacGyver sense, you know what I mean? I don't mean that in a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout sense or anything like that, like you have to have everything together and all of this. I'm talking about that allowing God to prepare you. A lot of times we think that we can build the church. We think if we get logos, we think if we get fun times together, if we get a bigger choir and we sing newer songs, if we get kids in here and we get inflatables, we get the kids, we get the parents, we get the parents, we get the grandparents. And so many times people come into this thing of church growth and they say, well, you can kind of do this. And if your church doesn't grow by such and such percent, if you don't do these things and we'll give your whole money back. And I've been to church growth classes. I've been to places where Junior Hill said that you should put them out in Ebenezer number nine in the rural woods of Alabama and tell them to grow that, okay? So I've been to a lot of all of these things, and I gotta tell you that in the book of Acts, it never tells you that you could grow the church. It says if we preach the gospel, if we are obedient servants of God and his gospel, then it says the Lord will add to the church, okay? And the Lord will give the fruit. It says that we plant and we water, but God gives the increase of it all. But we have to prepare ourselves, Every one of you know what I'm speaking of when I say preparing yourselves. There's some of you that you know you have to prepare yourself before you go to work. You got to get your mind right. You got to get your mind set. You got to get that train of thought going. going. And there's no one going to distract me today. No one's going to anger me. No one's going to get under my skin. No one's going to tick me off today, okay? I'll say it like that. You'll understand it a lot easier. Uh, and you start preparing yourself. And the way you prepare yourself is maybe you just sit down and you start praying, you know, and this is what we do as Christians. God, please don't let anybody be dumb today. Please don't let anybody bring their negativity all around me. We always pray those kind of things. And Christians are also very good about that we go, God, please help me lose weight. Please change the molecular structure of this cream-filled donut. And let Lord bless it to the nourishment of my body. You know what I mean? And God's like, you can't change that, okay? He did turn water into wine, but man, I've never seen a Krispy Kreme do anybody good. Uh, it tastes good, but it doesn't do it's good. But thinking about it, you prepare yourself over and over, and you're asking God these unrealistic things many times. You're, you're saying, God, let me do this, but I want you to do this. But we have to push ourselves aside, and that's what happens in Daniel chapter number 10. From Daniel chapter 7 all the way to, through Daniel chapter number 9, Daniel has experienced more as an 80-year-old man from God in prayer and in divine revelation of the Word of God. He has, spent, he has been given more than any other of the people of God about Israel and about what God's plan is to do with, with Israel. He's been given this huge, huge, vast information overload to where we should read in Daniel chapter 10 that, that his mind just gave up and Daniel lost his mind and that, that he just couldn't retain it all. But we don't see that. 
We see in Daniel chapter number seven, we see Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter number three and six about these visions and about kingdoms. And if you notice this, in Daniel chapter one, all the way through the end of the book, it's God being the ruler over kingdoms and nations. And it's God being faithful to those people who love him and look for him, amen, and seek him out. And God says, I'm going to be faithful to you no matter where you are, no matter what position you're in, or if you're in slavery, or if you're in freedom, God says, I'm going to be faithful to you. That's why the apostle Paul in the New Testament found the best peace in his life when he says that I have been both abased and I have been exalted, I have been in prison and I have enjoyed freedom. He says, but I am content with whatsoever state that I'm in. I've found that I can have true peace and contentment no matter where I am because why? I have God with me. Paul could say that more than anyone because Paul stood at Mars Hills and preached a wonderful message, but yet he also was locked up in prison in Caesarea and knew what it was like to have both of those things. He knew what it was like to be living on nothing to eat for days and how to live on plenteous to eat for days. And so Daniel is this guy that God's given this information overload, and now Daniel's got to be able to process it all. Daniel has said, God, what are you doing with Israel? You remember last Sunday and the Sunday before last, we did Daniel 9 and then finished up Daniel 9 last Sunday. The first portion of Daniel 9 verses 1 through 19 is Daniel praying and praying and praying and saying, God, what will you do? Will you forgive us? Please forgive us of our sins. We've sinned. We've dealt treacherously. We've done all of these things in vain. And even when you tried to come to us, we did not hear you and we didn't repent. Then in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20, all the way down to the end of the chapter, verse 27, God gives this prophecy that last Sunday, some of you went home and went, my goodness, that's too much for me to handle. Well, think about Daniel. Daniel got all of it. We just got a little bitty portion. And he told him that 490 years of captivity and judgment and chastisement is laid out for Israel. Remember, it was cut out, that kathah, it was cut out of time, and that God was going to chastise them. It was basically like this, if you put it in our terminology. God says, I'm putting you in time out. How long is time out going to be? Usually a parent says, until I say so. God says 490 years because he's giving them something significant that's spiritual but also symbolic at the same time because Israel understood signs and wonders. And so now we come to this place where Daniel's having to process it all. He's having to chew it all together. And he's going, how do I handle this? How do I take God's word and get it all into my mind? And Daniel said, I need to prepare myself. Daniel said, I need to prepare myself to receive this. Look, church, in the very beginning, these things are going to be laid out. But if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing is this. The word of God that's given to Daniel, it's a defining word. This word of God is very defining in Daniel's life. And what he says in Daniel chapter 10, look at verse number one with me. The Bible says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was, look at this, true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. The Bible says this is after Daniel has received all of this prophecy, 
This is after God has spoken unto him. You remember because he received these dreams and he received some of this word of God even before Cyrus was actually the king. He received it back even when Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, but Belshazzar, which was the king, you remember, that took the golden vessels and drank out of them and was drunk and God wrote on the wall and and he did the Scooby-Doo with his knees knocking together and was scared to death and all of that stuff. But now the Bible says this is the third year of Cyrus the king of Persia. And you go, well, bro, see, what does that mean? What does it really, it, what's it matter to be in the third year? What it is is that Daniel now is about 88 years old. How many of you would agree with me that 88 is old? Some of you wouldn't because you're close to that, right? But 88 years is old, especially for a man of God that was a prophet of God that wanted to see God move. And for 88, he's 88 years old, okay, listen. And he knew out of 88 years, he knew slavery and bondage to be underneath another nation, the nation of Babylon, 70 of those years was in slavery, So we would agree that most of his life, the majority of his life, at least two-thirds or more was spent in slavery, and the only freedom years that he ever knew was from birth to about 15 years old, and now from about 85 to 88 years old. And what's happening in Israel? The Bible says that Cyrus comes in in his very first year. So three years have passed, but in the very first year, Cyrus comes in and he tells all of the people that are exiled, those that are from Jerusalem, those that are from Asia, those that are from Egypt, everywhere, he tells all of those that were exiled and brought into captivity into Babylon, he comes in to be the king and he says, you're all free to go back to worship. You're all free to go back to your homelands and to do those things. And it was a wonderful thing. That's why the Israelites, even still today, they talk greatly about Cyrus because Jeremiah the prophet wrote about Cyrus that God touched the heart of Cyrus the king. God moved upon him to do these things. And see, what was going on in Cyrus's life is the exact same thing that's going on in you and in my life is this. There's a battle that's taking place. Some of you today are battling the sleep demon. Most every Sunday you battle the sleep demon. But you're battling, and literally Hollywood kind of got it right, but there is a battle of good and evil going on with you. I wish that times that God would pull back the curtain and show us the spiritual warfare that's going on around us. I promise you as believers, you would be terrified at the spiritual battle that's going on around us, especially even in the house of God. You think when you come to the house of God that everything's simple, everything's easy, and you don't realize that there is a war that's raging between the demonic forces of hell and the angelic forces of God. God, there is a battle between the flesh and the Holy Spirit of God that's going on right now, and it's striving to get your attention. Each of them are striving to get your undivided attention. They're striving to get your salvation. Listen, but your flesh is saying, don't accept the Lord, but the Spirit of God is saying, come to him. He's good. Try him out. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And all of this battle's going on, but we can't see it. Even the Bible says that Jacob's spiritual eyes were opened up one night and he saw angels that were descending or ascending and descending up and down a ladder. And if we understand that truly, we can go to John where he talked to Nathaniel. He said, I saw you under the tree and you were thinking about Jacob's ladder and Jesus says, I'm the ladder 
that Jacob was dreaming about and talking about. And those that are descending and ascending, coming up and going down, are the messengers, are the servants of God, and they're trying to get... He says there's a battle going on. There's a warfare going on. And what that scripture tells us is that we don't get to heaven by some angel telling us about it. Jesus is the ladder, and the angels were going up and down the ladder. The only access they have is through Christ also, amen? That's not good for y'all. That's pretty good. I thought it was good. It's only like 928. The Bible says this word is defining. And Daniel said, or the word of God said this right here. Daniel knew. Look at verse 1. He says, the thing that was told to me, number one, it's true. He said, and it was appointed. We've got to understand that God's revealed unto Daniel one of the most important prophecies in all Scripture concerning the Israelites. Daniel realized that what God told him was true. How did Daniel realize what God sent through the angel, the word to him? How did Daniel know that it was true? Because it happened exactly like God told Jeremiah 165 years before all of this. It happened exactly how God told Jeremiah. Not just exactly in the years of 70 years, but even to the naming of the king that would release them. His name would be King Cyrus. God told it. So Daniel knew that if God was honest and if God was true then, surely God is true and he's honest now. Just like amazing grace. If grace has brought us safe thus far, then grace will do what? Will lead us on. So looking at this, he said the word is true. Second of all, he says not only is it true, but he said it's an anointed and an appointed time of God. He said, this time is not declared by Cyrus himself. It wasn't declared by Nebuchadnezzar himself or any of the Jewish rabbis. He said, this time was appointed by God. Daniel had to hash this in his brain. Listen with me. He had to hash this. At 88 years of age, Daniel prayed morning, noon, and night daily. Every day he prayed that God would redeem his people that God would send the Redeemer, that God would send the one, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ, the anointed one, that he said he would send him. He had to understand through the prophecies that God would do these things. And Daniel prayed every day, God, please send the one. God, please send the Redeemer. God, please do these things. Even Ruth talked about the prophecy of this. All of these things were set out. They knew this word. Daniel knew the word. But he had to wait for God. Daniel had to hash this. Listen, he had to receive the word of God knowing that it was going to be 483 years until the Messiah stepped on the scene. Daniel was excited two chapters ago because he read Jeremiah about 70 years. We're almost out. Year 67, 68, 69, and we're almost there. But God gave him the prophecy, and he said, hey, they've not repented, and because they've not repented, then their iniquity is not full yet, and so I'm going to do something with the Gentiles, and I'm going to bring my salvation and the word of God to them to provoke them to jealousy so that they would desire the true things of God again. And he says, Daniel, he said, the Messiah, the one you've prayed for, the anointed one, the Redeemer's not coming for another 483 years. Daniel had to hash that or process that. In the South, we say hash it, okay? He had to chew on that. 
He had to understand this right here, that he's not coming in my lifetime. Daniel was 88. He's not going to be able to hold out for another 483. If God wanted him to, yes, but Daniel's got to process that. But Daniel, no matter what, believed that he would send a redeemer at any moment. Some of you look at me foolish because I preach about the rapture and I talk about Christ coming back and getting us. But it can be just like that in a moment. We're not waiting on a fulfillment of prophecy or years to be played out. The Bible says we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He said if he goes away, he will come again. We're waiting on the call of Jesus Christ to come back and to receive us. Amen. It can happen like that. You say, but see, Paul's been preaching about it, and Peter's been preaching about it, and, and Billy, uh, Billy Sunday preached about it, and D.L. Moody preached about it, and Charles Spurgeon preached about it, and, and Daniel Livingston preached about it. They all, or David Livingston preached it. They all preached about it. What makes you any different? Nothing. I'm still holding on to the same faith and hope that they held on to. But what makes a little bit of difference is that we see Israel coming back together as a nation, Standing for God once again. And he says, when we see that, you know that summertime is coming. The word is defining. It's true. We should be able to hold on to the word of God and not be so confused by it, but we should go, it's true. The second thing is this. This word of God is altering. It should be life-changing for us. The word that Daniel received altered his life. It should alter our life, A-L-T-A-R. It should put us in an altar of prayer. But this altering means God changed him. Daniel was forever changed. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Let me share something with you, and please don't take offense to this. You might get mad at me. You might get angry with me. I'm not talking about other people in other churches, but there's so many people today that they do what's called the 21-day Daniel fast. We're going to Daniel fast 21 days. And then they try to group this fast together with Daniel chapter number one of them eating the vegetables and drinking the water. And so they, they connected those two things. That's not what happened in Scripture. What happened in Scripture was Daniel said, I cannot eat the unclean things from the king's table, the meats and the wine. He said, I can't eat those things. And so he chose not to do that. And he ate pulse or vegetables and drank water and stuff. And then we moved to this. The reason that Daniel had a 21-day fast in his life because it says in verse number one that in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the thing was revealed. And the Bible says in number two, chapter uh, 10, verse number two, he says, and in those days, <coughs> I, Daniel was mourning three full weeks, all of these things. And we understand this because it was in the first month of the year, the month called Nisan. And in that month, we know that this would be the time of the Passover meal for all of Israel. And they would fast and they would eat unleavened bread alone with water for seven days. And it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it led up all the way to the days of Passover where they slaughtered the lamb. And then it even finished out after that that they would do that. And so they were to separate themselves. But Daniel said, I was so convicted by God's word that he gave me. 
It was so defining and real and true in my life and such a heavy burden on me that Daniel said, I not only committed myself during this time of Passover to fast for seven days, Matt, but he said, no, I did it in a wonderful trinity. I did it in a completion, and I fasted for 21 days. Now, this isn't Daniel going, hey, I did better than everyone else. Because a fast itself is not to be pronounced or promoted. A fast in the Word of God was not something to be advertised and not something to do. But a convocation or a, excuse me, a congregational fast sometimes that was called was called by the kings and called by the administrators. And they would call for the people to have a solemn assembly and ask the nation to put away things. Much like we do today in the National Day of Prayer. We ask all people for one time to commit themselves to pray that day. And in the original writing of that, it was to pray to the God of heaven, our creator who formed us, uh, you know, that we were all equal before him in the documents of our American history. It was to pray to our creator. But now what we've done is we've made fasting a promotional formula and also a weight loss system. It's never intended to be that. It's not intended to do those things. If we lose weight, the best thing to do is like what I've tried to do is push yourself away from the table. But a fast doesn't push yourself away from the table. A fast puts yourself on your knees. A fast in the Word of God means that God, I am preparing myself. I am cleansing myself of worldly things. I am putting things of my flesh aside. And that is to consecrate and to show you that I desire only you. I desire you to hear from you, to speak to me, to do, God, and answer what I'm asking of you. It is not always, okay, I'm going to pray in order for me to get my new car. And I'm going to fast in order for me to get a new boat. I, I guarantee you guys, you go to your wife and tell her that you've been fasting for a new boat. She's going to say, you're a liar. I've been fasting for a new boat. And this is what we've done to the word fast today. We've, we've taken it out of its context and put it in our own American society minds. And Daniel was saying, no, I've been changed by what has been spoken to me. Daniel said, it has come upon me in such a distressing and disturbing manner that I need to seek God. He is saying, I need to be away from you and I need to be away from you for a while. I need to be alone with God. I need to pull myself away from all of these earthly things that tie me here because I am seeking heavenly information. I'm seeking a heavenly God that would speak to me, that would help me in this time of mourning and in trouble. Daniel positioned himself to understand God better. We do it all the time. I love, I like cell phones when they work. How many of you like cell phones when they work? How many of you want to throw them as far as you can? Run over them with the car, shoot them with a 38 pistol when they don't work right. How many of you want to call AT&T and Verizon and whoever you use and say, look, I'm only paying you for 27 days because three days this month you didn't even work for me. You know what I mean? And they don't care. They don't care at all. Look, you get so angry about that. I love when people are trying to find reception. 
you know, they get their phones out and they're looking around and they're trying to do what are they doing they're positioning themselves to get a signal you know what I mean? And when people call me on my phone here at the church, we don't get a very good signal here. And so I have to lean out towards the window. So my ear is pressed to the blinds in the office, and I'm trying to do that, and I'm trying to listen. And people go, I can't, what you're, and I'm going, I could crush it with my hands sometimes. And so what do you have to do? I have to actually get up and you have to walk outside sometimes in order to even talk to somebody. And that's where you want to fling that thing as far as you can. And just watch it skip across the road. This is what Daniel is saying in his fasting. Don't miss this. This is not a remedy to do something to help out with your weight loss. He's positioning himself to hear God. He's moving more toward God. He's moving away. This is what we do. We say, God, we're going to study our Bible. We get our Bibles out at about 9.30 at night. Don't, don't look at somebody. Please don't look at anybody. We've worked all day long. We get our Bibles out at 9.30 at night. Our television is on, and it's playing in the background, some kind of favorite comedy show. All this stuff's going on. Steve Harvey's talking about the family feud, or Pat Jack's on the Wheel of Fortune. We're doing all this stuff, and we're trying to search the Bible. And then when we go to bed, this is what we do. God, it was very difficult for me to understand anything that you were saying. God, why is it that I struggle reading the Bible? God, why is it that I can't seem to understand it? It must be that language of the King James, or it must be the language of the Bible in the English Standard Version. It must be all of this stuff. It must be all of that, when actually what the problem is, is that we don't position ourselves to hear from Him. We don't have a dedicated time of prayer. We don't have a dedicated time to read the Bible. We don't put as much emphasis and preparation on studying and hearing from God as we do getting dressed with our clothing and makeup. We spend less time. We spend hours. You spend hours blow-drying your hair. <laughs> and your arms are tired. And you're wore out. And how much do you spend in the Word? And then will you come to church and go, God, I don't understand why you don't speak to me like you're speaking to that believer or to that Christian. God, I don't understand why that Christian gets so emotional when they're singing some kind of praise song or gospel song. Lord, I don't understand why Steve gets so emotional and begins to clap his hands and stomp his feet when he's praising God because of a, a particular scripture and he gets so riled up about the third year because what's happening in Daniel's life is that Daniel's 88 and he's seeing, Brian, people that, are in, that were in bondage for years and now they're going back to the homeland. All of those young ones, Sister Darla, that was born in, in Babylon are now marching back. And, and he knows that they're going back to repair the walls and, and the temple and, and that God's people is going to get to have a place to worship him again. And he's seeing all this knowing that he can't go, but that they're going. And so Daniel does the one thing that he does well, and he positions himself in prayer. And he's fasting, and he's asking God to speak. Let me ask you this question. Do we allow the word of God to alter us? Or do we alter the word of God to fit us? Seriously. 
Are you allowing God's word to speak to you and to change you? Or do you constantly look into the word of God as a lawyer looking for loopholes to do what you want to do? What satisfies you and it never changes you. Daniel was altered by what God told him. Here's the third thing. This word, or excuse me, underneath this, how God is so wonderful when he speaks to us. If you know God, then you'll know this statement. First of all, Daniel realizes that God is very familiar to him. Daniel realizes it's it's like this seems familiar. In verse number four, listen to what he said, or verse number uh, four, he says this. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, Nisan said, I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, which is the river, Tigris River that we know. He says, then I lifted up my eyes, look at this, and I looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of euphaz. It says his body was like the barrel stone and his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Number one, look at where Daniel's at. In verse number four, Daniel is beside the great river that Hedekel, that Tigris River. This takes Daniel all the way back to the book of Moses. God takes Daniel full circle. We know that the Euphrates River and the Tigris River was mentioned in Genesis, in the very beginning chapters of Genesis, at the Garden of Eden. And God is bringing Daniel all the way back. You say, why would God do something like that? To show Daniel something familiar. To bring him into remembrance. What happened in the Garden of Eden? The Bible says in the Garden of Eden that Adam and God walked together in the cool of the day. The Bible says that it wasn't when the sun was high, but it had to either be in the very early morning hours or it was in the evening time during the cool of the day that God came down, Brother Mitch, and walked with Adam and communed, fellowshiped, mingled together, mixed together with him and had conversation with him. And now God is about to do the same thing with Daniel and he's bringing him to a familiar place. In Daniel 1 through Daniel 9, God over and over showed him, Matty showed him signs and wonders and symbols. But now God is taking him to specific places. Specific places. He said, I was beside that great river and all of a sudden I realized God... It's very familiar. And if you'll understand this, you'll really, really get a blessing. But it's real familiar if we go to Revelation chapter number 1 and look at verse number 12. The Bible says this, and I turned, John says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And he says, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. Look at how he's clothed. Clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many or a multitude of waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, it's the word of God, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, 
I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and amen and have the keys of hell and of death. It's familiar because why? Look at what it says. Look at who we're talking to. The Bible says that Daniel sees a certain man. John says he sees one in the image of the Son of Man. Amen? Talking about Jesus. Uh, Daniel said he was clothed in linen. John said he was clothed in that robe and in that fine linen. And what he's talking about, he said he was clothed with a garment. John said where? Down to the foot. If you understood the priesthood, you would know that God said the garment's got to go all the way down to the hand and all the way down to the foot. And it says also that it would be a fine linen. Amen. And so what Daniel is saying, he said, I saw a man that presented himself as a priest. He said, second of all, the prophets also uh, clothed themselves in garments made of linen. He said, this one that I saw by the river, Tigris River, he said he presented himself as though he was a priest and as though he was a prophet. He said the second thing that I noticed about him, that he had a golden sash around him. John said it was around the golden girdles, around the paps. He said this gold was of Euphaz. He said it was shining. It was beautiful. So what Daniel says, it says the man not only presented himself as a priest and also as a prophet, but he was also standing there as though he was royal and a king. Amen. And John said the same thing. And then they said this. He said his hair was white. He said his eyes were like, uh, like a flaming fire. Daniel said his appearance was like barrel, like the stone barrel, which would be very clear. It doesn't have color at all. It means colorless. It means pure. It means wonderful, transparent, and clear. And it gets its color by adding other attributes to it. So in our day, and in our world, that barrel stone, it gets its red color from, from the impurities that are added in there. It gets its blue color because it has eight different colors that it comes in. And it's very rare to find that. But what John, uh, Daniel said, he said he was clear, but was so clear that all of the attributes that, that contributed to him, it said it made him as though he was every color across the spectrum. You know why? Because when Daniel saw him, he saw grace. He saw mercy. He saw love. He saw forbearance and passion. He saw all of those things in that man standing by the river. And John saw the same thing. It's familiar. And one day, we will see that. One day, we will see the one that when we see his face that Daniel said was clear like the barrel stone, that John said was white and his hair was as white as wool, as though he was pure and though he was holy. When we see him, we'll see all of that spectrum of what? Not red and yellow and black and brown and green and violet. We will see all of the characteristics and the attributes, look, of what? Of his grace and his love and his mercy. When we see the face of Jesus, we will finally see all that the Father has loved us with. Everything that he's come after you with. The Bible says that God is familiar. Second of all, God is friendly to Daniel. Listen to what it says. He says, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision. 
But a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled and hid themselves. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. If you look back with me at verse number eight, the Bible says that Daniel alone saw the vision and he was left alone. Daniel said when he saw the vision of this man, look at what happened to him. He said, my comeliness turned in unto me corruption. What he's saying is exactly what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter number 6. When I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the glory of his train or righteousness filled the temple, Isaiah said, I realized woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. When he stood before God, the word comeliness in this scripture means all of my beauty. Comeliness is, 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 is basically pretty or, or the beauty of it all. And he's saying, listen, when I realized and was standing before the Son of God, this one that was sent to speak to me, this one that was sent to strengthen me, he said, all of my beauty turned into corruption. He said, every bit of my glory turned into humility. Many people think they're going to stand before God and go, God, why did you do this? And, and God, why did you allow abortion? And, and God, why did you allow murder? And why did you allow rape and all those things? And I'm telling you, all of your pride will turn into humbleness when you stand before an almighty God. Daniel was a man of faith. But everything that Daniel was and all of his faithfulness and all of his glory and in every bit of his righteousness, Crystal, and all of the beauty of who Daniel was for 88 years of a devoted life, Daniel, every bit of it, when he stood before God, he said these words, it was in no comparison to him. It was in all of my beauty and glory was nothing. It was corruption. That's why David said that my righteousness is as filthy rags before the righteousness of God. That's a humble servant. God's friendly because why? Because he comes to the lowly. Stop for a moment. I know we don't have much time, but stop for a moment. He came to you. Sinner defiled, unclean, vile in your speech and in your actions. He came to you as a friend. <clears throat> you may not realize this, but isn't it easy for God to call or the Son of God to call Paul his friend or James and John his friend and all these people his friend? But, but Judas? No way. He wasn't a friend of Jesus. He betrayed him. He kissed him on the cheek, Brother Stephen, betrayed the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver for the wage of a slave. <clears throat> but when he came to the Garden of Gethsemane and before he walked and kissed Jesus on the cheek to identify him, do you know what the Scripture says that Jesus asked him? <clears throat> he says, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Jesus already pronounced and knew that one was at the table that would betray him and the, be the one that would sop the bread with him. Judas did all that. It, it isn't that Jesus didn't know and he was caught off guard by it all. That whole statement of, wherefore art thou come, that really wasn't it. <clears throat> you know what the statement was? was in the beginning, friend. Amen. The whole statement of, Adam, where art thou? It wasn't about, Brother Mitch, the where art thou. It was more about Adam. Amen. 
Because God already knew where Adam was. He was hiding in the bushes. Sewed fig leaves together. Right? Listen, he did all of that, but God said, Adam. And he told Judas, friend. People say today that Jesus hangs out with sinners. No, he comes to redeem them, and he comes to save them. Here's the last thing. God is faithful. Here's the last thing under that. Let me get that right. God is faithful. God is familiar. God is friendly. And God is faithful. Daniel chapter 10, look at verse number 10. The Bible says, And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. What an amazing word of God that we have right here. And we move into this. And I'm going to skip through all this. But one thing I want you to see in verse number 11, the Bible says that when he did stand up, he stood up trembling before God. He didn't stand in pride, but he stood in humility. And he says, I'm come to speak to you. Listen, the prayers and the actions of Daniel, the prayers of Daniel and the action of obedience to fast and to put his earthly desires away. Listen to what it did. It moved God. It moved God. As if God isn't busy enough, it moved God to answer the prayer of his servant. Which brings me to this question. Has God ever taken notice of your prayers? Do you pray in such a way that you really and truly get the attention of God? Does God listen to you? Does does your prayers move heaven? Abraham was a man who prayed, and it moved God. It moved God into, not not just in the sense of God listening, but, but Brother Mitch, it moved God to the point where Abraham said, Lord, if you find 50 there, would you save it? God, if you find 40 there, 30 there, get all the way down. Would you save it? Would you save it? It moved God. And he brought Lot, <clears throat> that one that was just, he brought him out of those things. Has God ever taken notice of our prayers? That's the most convicting question I think I've ever been faced with. That's one of the most convicting thoughts of my own life is that, God, not do you take notice of how much I pray, but are you taking notice of what I'm praying? Are you moved by the words that I'm speaking and asking and my petitions and my requests? Here's the very last thing. Brandon, go ahead and come on. The word of God or this word of God is deserving. These are go quick. It's very deserving. You say, what do you mean deserving, Brother Steve? This word of God is commendable. It's merit. It's meritable. It has, it's one that should be praiseworthy. The word of God that Daniel got it's deserving of things. That, that what we give to it is honorable. <clears throat> if you read the word of God and you receive that word, you should give all, all of the deserving credit, merit, and the honor that God's trying to speak to you with. Your favorite Bible scripture shouldn't be something that you just write on your baseball bat. 
Your favorite Bible scripture shouldn't be something that you've pinned on the bottom of your basketball shoes alone. Your favorite scripture shouldn't be something that you get tattooed on you or all of these other things. Your favorite scripture should be something that's deserving of honor and praise and that it moves you because you received it in such a way that that's what you live by. That's your not go-to scripture because, oh, I just like it. Oh, it's just good. It's just nice. It should be your go-to scripture because God has helped you. God has spoken to you. And Daniel realized that this scripture was deserving of more attention. He realized that this prophecy that God gave him was deserving of what? Of fasting and praying. You're not really understanding me when I say that. Because Daniel spent 88 years of his life doing that already. And Matt, he could have just marked it up and said, God spoke to me because I was already seeking him. He could, because he was in Daniel 9, 1 through 19. And he could have marked it up that God was just speaking because I was already seeking him. But after Daniel received the word, he didn't go, okay, that was pretty cool, God. That was good. That's good. Daniel said, no, this was a word that I... as the South says, sticks to our crawl. We, God, I want, I want to know more of it. I want to know it, I want to, I want to know it deeper. Brian, I'll use you, 1 John 1, 19, Brian's favorite scripture. I know that. Martha McCurry's is, is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. My wife's is Philippians 4, 13. Some of you, my dad's is Romans 10, 9 and 10. I know people's favorite scripture, but you know why I know it? Because they they quote it all the time. They talk about it all the time. They use it all the time. But 1 John 1 and 9 is not just a quirky, cool scripture. It helps Brian to understand that if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the reason that became Brian's favorite scripture, and he knows I'm not picking, is because he's a sinner. And because he is a sinner, and because he struggled in sins, and because he often probably messed up and fell to temptation of sin, he read that one day and went, God, you mean you'll forgive me of all sin? And that any time I come to you and confess to you that you'll forgive me? That's amazing to me, God. Why would you do that? And he sees deeper in that scripture that it says, not because he is just to you or faithful to you but because he told his son in other scriptures that if he died on the cross for the sins of the world that he would forgive people's sins through your blood Brian come to the realization that because of forgiveness being granted to me it's because God's faithful to Jesus and just to him who died on the cross which makes Brian love Jesus even more because he says, if it were not for Jesus, I would have no forgiveness of sins. That's why Brian loves 1 John 1 and verse 9. Not because it's cool or quirky or because it fits on my arm or it's wrote on my shoe, but because God moved him. God altered him. He changed him. And Brian says, that word of God is deserving to be repeated. 
It's deserving of my deeper understanding of it all. Listen, the word of God, I'm gonna give you these quick as we, we can go through them. It's deserving, number one, of our patience. God's word is deserving of your patience. You don't have much patience. Say it with me. Steve, I don't have much patience. Say it, say it out loud. I don't have much patience. Now, some of you, you said you don't have much patience. Like I was talking about me, I'm talking about y'all. You know you don't have patience. Wi-Fi goes down, you go berserk. You can't get a Facebook post out. Dear Lord, what will we do? You go berserk. Wi-Fi's out for 30 minutes and we call charter wanting our money back. I'm friends with you. I know. We do that. Why do we do that, brother? Because we don't have patience. Will you tell the Lord today, Lord, that's right, I don't have patience. I don't. But when it comes to understanding the Word of God, you don't need a new formula, new translation, new all this stuff. You need, first of all, patience with the Word of God. You know what the Bible says? Listen, I'm going to give it quick. Verse 13. He says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia which was a demon of Satan, withstood me one in 20 days. He said, 21 days, although, look, although he was delayed, God still sent his messenger. Daniel prayed for 21 days, but the angel of the Lord, listen, and the vision that he saw of God's son didn't come until the 24th day. Why? Because there was a spiritual warfare going on. There was a battle that was taking place. And that demonic force that was also driving King Cyrus and that spiritual hand of God that was driving King Cyrus was a battle within that man. It was a battle that was going on. And he's saying, listen, I was coming and I was coming at the very beginning when God first heard you, he says, but I was delayed because of the battle that goes on. And many times we think God's mad at us because he's delayed his time. And he's not, he's teaching you to be patient and to wait on him. Listen to what he says in verse number 14. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is yet for many days. He's teaching Daniel. He says, listen, not listen. you've waited for 21 days. You waited three days. I came on the 24th. God is telling you that it's going to not come until 483 years later. You don't have to be patient. Listen, God's word is deserving of our patience. Number two, God's word is deserving of our reverence, our respect. Daniel says in verse 15, it says, And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb. He said, I couldn't speak. Daniel was always a man of words, but he couldn't find anything to say. He says, And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men, it says, touched my lips and opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon, upon me, and I have retained no strength. And listen to what Daniel says. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, <clears throat> straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. He said, this is just really taking all of my breath away. Third thing, the word of God is deserving of our attention, <clears throat> our undivided attention. Look at the last words. He says, then there came again and touched me, one likened to the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And he says, oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then he said, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? Do you know why I've come to even speak to you today? I wonder if we close the service this morning with that question. Do you know why God 
has got you here today and why God is trying to speak to you? Do you realize what's going on? Is it, is it sin? Is it, is, it, is it just for you? Are you? Have you become unthankful? And he says, but I will show thee. Listen, he says, whenever I leave, I'm going to return and fight the prince of Persia. <coughs> Excuse me, all those things. He says, when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. He said, what I will show thee, that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. You sit, stop for a moment. I know you're fixing to close your Bible up. You're fixing to turn me off and all that stuff. Please don't. Because I want you to look at this right here. And we've just got just a few seconds left, a few minutes left. He said, I want to show you what's noted in the scripture of truth. Now, this is an angel of God speaking. He said, I want to show you what's noted in the scripture of truth. And you look at that and you go, wait a minute. The scripture of truth. <clears throat> we have two of the greatest assets or two of the greatest gifts we could ever have as a believer. Two of the greatest things you could ever have. Number one, we have the opportunity to speak to a lovingly God, excuse, speak lovingly and boldly to an almighty God. We have that opportunity to speak openly, boldly, and lovingly to God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. The Bible says in Ephesians 3 verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Because of Jesus, we have two of the greatest blessings we could ever have. And the first one is, is that we get to talk to God. Do you realize that? Let me ask you this question. When you talk to him, do you speak to him reverently? Do you speak to him in honor and in praise of who he is? You know what the second thing is that we have that's a wonderful blessing? The blessing of the spoken and written promises and truths. Two of the greatest things that are at the disposal of a Christian is being able to talk to an almighty God who understands our spirit because he's given us the Holy Spirit. And when we pray, Amy, he speaks to us. And the second blessing is, is we have love letters and words from him. We have the promises, the truth, and the blessing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture, not some, but all scripture is given. And it means God gave it. How? By the inspiration of God. It means, that inspiration of God means this. It means God breathed it out. He gave it. It says that it's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Two of the greatest things that we have as Christians, according to surveys, are two of the least things that Christians do. Is that not amazing? Two of the greatest blessings we have are two of the least things that Christians do. Giving to the poor is wonderful. Serving and cooking is great. Not in prayer and not in his word. It's detrimental to your Christian walk. And this is what we do. God bless us and never understand his blessings. See, the word of God is useful because God inspired it. It's not God inspired because it's something useful. Look at verse number 12, and I'll close. Andrew's about to play. Brandon's about to sing this song, and I'm going to show you some of the words in this song. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 
10, verse 12 says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. From the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand. You know what that means? Sister Darla, it means from the first day you prepared yourself. You prepared yourself, set your heart to understand. And you chastened or chastised yourself before God. He said, your words were heard. Look at this last thing. This got me. Man, this got me. And I am come for thy words. God did it all. God gave Daniel that and gave it to us. The most promising scripture of all about Jesus the Messiah coming. Being cut off, not for himself. And he did it all for what reason, church? I am come for thy words. God was moved by your prayer. God was touched. That's amazing. See, the greatest thing is this. that I said it this week. We serve and worship a God who both listens and speaks. But what I didn't put on there was the ending because I saved it for you today. We both serve and worship a God, listen, who both listens and speaks. But does he have a people who both hear and obey? Does God have your attention? He said, I'm come for thy words. This song says, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, and I'm just the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am patiently waiting, yielded and still. Listen, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Search me and try me, Savior, today. Wash me just now, Lord. Wash me just now, as in thy presence. Humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Does he have your attention? Does he hold your reverence? Does the word of God change you? Or when you get done with today, will you not think about him again until next Sunday? majority of that is that some people will you'll forget it all you prayed God speak to me and only to me but during some of the service you've been more consumed with others who are in front of you and behind you and beside you God didn't have your attention because something else does God wants your attention